starting your off season, you're going to get strong. You got to get get your big compound movements going. Get strong. Get get athletic. This is the RIT Team Radio Podcast, dedicated toward the wellness initiative of the fire and rescue community. Stay with us as we explore and share evidence-based research, information, and training methods. Here's your host, Hussein Jabai. Welcome back to RIT Team Radio. We're here with Trevor Farah and Ryan Provencher to drift over to part three, part three of the Firefighter Challenge, which previously uh, we talked about just what the course is in itself with the different tasks that are associated with it, um, the significance and role that it plays within the field. Uh, But then we also took some time in episode two, in part two, where we picked the course apart. We looked at different movements. We said, from a movement standpoint, how could you view this? From a from bioenergetics to energy systems, how can we view this training course? And then that leads us into this third piece, into this final piece of kind of summarizing everything up and then giving you these tangible options, things you can implement, whether you are specifically training for the course itself, where you are more in the competitive, uh, the competition setting, Or maybe you're wanting to utilize some sort of physical ability test, some sort of job simulation testing, um, and and you want to be able to construct that at your agency or your drill field or something you can implement. Um, So uh, first things first, you know, welcome back to the podcast, guys. I I, kind of want to start less drifting more into the the content itself, but as an introduction and and drifting you back into this segment, um, Trevor, what what is just overall significance? What can a pat, you know, your perception of training for competition, what kind of role, uh, whether it's role model or just overall role and significance, did uh, does this play in the fire service or in the circles that you're in? Yeah, I think it's huge. I think it's, uh, it's, it's just good for health and wellness within the fire service in general. It's good for camaraderie. It gets everyone together, gets everyone excited. Um, yeah, I, I think it's 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 big all around for the fire service, and uh, uh, not just in my local service, but around the world. Well, and then welcome back as well, Ryan. Um, looking more on the let's say the coach's perspective, say on the the training perspective, um, what what was the significance, Ryan? Part two, we talked about breaking down the course. What's the importance of that to actually being able to observe the course, and then? Um, to be able to find measurements and kind of figure out where you're at. Yeah, and kind of like we talked about uh, last time, there's certainly a competitive element. Obviously, the Firefighter Challenge is a competition and uh, literally at the world-class level can be uh, competitive for firefighters, but it's accessible to all firefighters. So if we really come back to what we talked about in our last episode, you know, we talked about biomechanics, we talked about energy systems, we talked about physical attributes, we talked about assessment options for all of those, for any individual firefighter to have a better sense of their baseline fitness. And then what are your goals? If your goals are uh, to be a competitor, you're going to approach your workouts in a way that is maybe different than someone that is non-competitive. So looking forward to digging into that in more detail today. Right. And so we we want to be able to provide you with these actual items with everything. Yes. You know, we'll look through 
um, what does it mean, the significance, and then some background information. But now we're trying to provide you on this third segment some tangible things, um, different action items, stuff you can take back to, uh, whether it's at the gym, at the fire station, at the drill field, these tangible items where you can start programming, you can start implementing training for yourself, for your crew, uh, for your agency. So, uh, Trevor, I'm going to shift over to you and kind of just ask overview, say you're prepping, right? This preparation for competing. Let's, let's talk specifically competition. What does that, what does that kind of look like for you? Kind of give an overview of how you might approach your just training, whether you're coaching for yourself or for other individuals. Yeah. So what I tell all my firefighters slash call them athletes, cause they are, um, Starting your off season, you're going to get strong. You got to get get your big compound movements going. Get strong. Get get athletic. Get get into the gym. Um, you could be doing some say lighter lighter circuits. I want to say lighter, less intense circuits. That maybe a little bit heavier. Uh, helps you just get your cardio going. Uh, so that would be be your off season. But then uh, once we start ramping up, we're going to be doing more sprint work things we want to get faster we want to get smooth um we want to get explosive so our our circuits will replicate that they'll be short explosive circuits you're going to be running at 90 100 and if you're not there then we're going to dial it back down the weight back a little bit and so i tell everybody is we want to get fast we want to get smooth we want to stay strong and get explosive and uh, we run through that throughout the season. And that'll be in the gym and on the course. When I like how you mentioned different seasons to that, right? When we're talking preparation, and I usually explain it on this uh, thing continuum where you drift uh, in a specificity nature, right? As closely resembling the course as possible and then farther away from the course. And when you're more in the off season, you're still doing tasks, you're doing exercises, you're doing activities that help build components for the course. But from a specificity standpoint, you might not replicate exactly what is going to be um, within the course itself, right? This, you're not as specific. It's not as closely, um, it's not identical to what you're doing on the course. And then slowly when you drift more into in-season and then you start getting into your competitive realm, like you mentioned, now you're drifting it in where when you're when you're performing the course, you need to be fast, you need to be powerful, you need to be smooth and and be able to have um, just the accuracy and be nimble enough to perform those tasks. And that's how you mentioned from your training perspective, you you build these components first, then you start trickling into more of that specificity side of things. So Trevor from um, or my apologies, Ryan, let's drift to <laughs> Ryan now uh, from a building block. Let's say we're giving action items, things that people can start to incorporate at the station itself. What might be some tasks or or just first mentality? How would you kind of approach building the workout? And then what are some things that can be implemented at the fire station? Yeah, and so I think uh, just like we talked about in our last session, you really have to be intentional about how you approach this. And we're going to put that into the, into the context of just a, a specific workout, just as an example. So if you're a competitive firefighter and you're going to compete in the firefighter challenge, your approach to this may be different from a firefighter that is not competitive. And kind of coming back to our exercise science, 
We're going to talk about the SED principle, which is specific adaptation to imposed demands. So when Trevor talks about training to perform at the highest levels, and he talks about the attributes uh, that are required to include speed, for example, that may not apply to the firefighter that, hey, I just wanna use movement patterns that are common on this course, but also apply to my firefighting. So uh, Trevor and I kind of put together uh, a workout that you could complete at your fire station. And there's two different ways that you could approach this. So if we look at the actual workout itself, we encourage certainly a dynamic warm up, and then here are the exercises. So you could do a shoulder load walking lunge, 10 reps on the right leg, 10, you know, 10 on the left leg with the load. Hopefully replicated on the other yeah. side. Right? Yeah. So, so you're walking right and left, one, one, two, two, three, three. You've got the load on one shoulder for round one. And then you come into your kettlebell or dumbbell split stance row. So it's a horizontal row, 10 reps right, 10 reps left. And then you transition to your med ball slam, which is your hinge. And it's, it's uh, 25 reps. And then we go to the squat plus overhead press. And you can just use a hose roll that you'll find in your fire station for 10 reps. And then the last is a rescue dummy drag for about 30 feet. And so that's one round. Now, there's ways that we can control the intensity of that work. We can control the load. We can control the tempo. We can if we decide to choose more dynamic exercises, for example, a split jump, which is a plyometric exercise in place of the walking lunge for the, for the competitive side. Um, this is just an example. And then you go through six rounds, each of those six rounds for time. So whether you're competitive or non-competitive, there's still value in tracking the time it takes for you to complete each round. And then you cool down with a comprehensive cool down and that's your workout. Right. And, and I like how you mentioned various ways of manipulating the exercise. And just as any traditional exercise, like you said, whether you're manipulating the load itself, um, you're adding intensity to it by increasing complexity, maybe adding a plyometric component to it. You could change kind of where the weight is distributed, right? Whether it's on uh, it's centered or you have it over one shoulder or maybe in a suitcase carry on one side versus another and so forth. You can kind of change where that um, load is that so you can place a little bit more strain on different body segments, maybe the core a little bit more. Um, but yeah, plenty of exercise to implement again, you know, addressing that dynamic warm up, which is always encouraged, whether you're doing uh, exercises, whether you're doing a workout at the fire station, you're at the drill field, no matter where you're at, um, implement something, get your body prepped, get your body warm, ready to, uh, ready to perform. Um, and then also kind of before we drift into more, uh, whether it's uh, getting onto the course, uh, kind of talk about also the importance and implementing the cool down as well. Yeah. And so as we're talking about, uh, this is a very intentional approach to your firefighter physical training. In this case, we're using the firefighter challenge, the movement patterns, the energy systems, the physical attributes to build the training session. So we, we have a very specific list of exercises. The warm-up for that is obviously uh, dynamic and specific as we discussed. And then to cool down from that, you know, if we know that we've used a lunge pattern or a hinge um, or, or a vertical press, we have, uh, let's say, yoga poses or stretches that we can use to unload oh, that you specifically. Said, you said yoga. I think that's going to throw some people off. 
right, uh, right. But is important. And I like to always say something when someone says yoga. It was interesting. Um, I was, uh, you know, chatted with y'all and talked about it. But I was teaching at the academy the other night, and I, we were talking about flexibility. And I was like, "What does flexibility mean to you?" And one guy was like, "Yoga." And I'm like, okay, why are you saying it like it's a bad thing? Like just because you put <laughs> yoga tied to it, it's that word how bad, right? Just it, it flexibility, mobility work. And in many cases, you'll do stretches and you're like, this looks exactly like yoga. Well, what do you think yoga is? So, yeah. <laughs> right, being able to implement those tasks. Um, but I also like uh, the fact that you mentioned these are great examples to things you can incorporate, but you also defined you're selecting them based on movement patterns, right? A lunge, a horizontal row, a hinge, a squat and press movement, right? We're categorizing movement. And even though, which these are amazing exercises to incorporate by any, and by any means, if you're listening to this and you want to add something to your tool belt, add these exercises, but also understand that utilize those categories and use them as a checklist. I have a hinging pattern, check. I have a lunging pattern, check. I have some sort of uh, horizontal row, some sort of vertical press, right? I have these movement patterns in place. Use that as a checklist and it's gonna help you with, with building out your program. Um, now let's drift over to, uh, let's say now, still in the competitive realm, right? Still prepping, still uh, thinking in the competitive space. And now we're drifting to training on the course. Um, so Trevor, on your side, let's say we're working with athletes that are prepping to compete. What might training or workouts look like utilizing the course itself? Yeah. So now when we get back in the course, we might as well use the exact same equipment that we use in a competition, right? We'll use that as our, as our equipment. Um, so the first one being we have stairs and the stairs are in the course. So we can sprint our stairs with our high rise pack on. It's 42 pounds. You're going up six flights. So if we want to just do sprint work one day, we can just do stairs up and down. Or we can add in the uh, the rope pull. So we can go stairs, rope to down. And the rope pull is a 45 pound donut. And so then we come back down quick as we can. You know, the whole time we're doing this, we're also working on our speed. We're working on staying smooth, learning all of our footwork. We want muscle memory all the way through this. So a workout that we do quite often is we'll call it front halves and back halves. The front half is stairs, stairs up, rope pull down. And that's, that's the front half of the course. So we'll run that through three, four times until you're, you're starting to get tired. And we'll then we'll move on, move on to the next one. We don't want to slow down too, too, too hard. Right. Um, so in the back half, now we're looking at the, the force machine. So the hammer running through the hydrants, dragging the sled, and then dragging the 175-pound rescue ready backwards. So we'll do that three or four times until we can really start slowing down. I don't want, I don't want my, uh, my firefighters dragging their ass to the course. I want everything fast, everything explosive. Um, so, yes, we kind of, we, we'll kind of play with that. Front halves, back halves, just do certain sections of the course to really get the muscle memory learning it or work on parts of the course that uh, – you personally might need a little bit of help with and um, yeah, have some fun with the workouts that way. And yeah, actually this, this yeah. all could be done. Uh, it should be always wearing gloves, but uh, I always make sure at least wearing our boots, use your bunker gear. And then if we're going all out for a heavy day, we're going to wear our SCBA and go on air. Yeah. I mean, and getting used to getting 
comfortable being uncomfortable, right? That that exactly. phrase, but getting used to utilizing the gear and performing in the gear, um, because from a, whether it's uh, getting used to the load, getting used to the internal environment within the gear, um, getting used to the movement restrictions, doing these specific tasks. Granted, uh, I'm pretty sure most of you in the competitive realm are pretty, pretty familiar with your gear in itself, but with training, also getting used to at this maximal effort, actually implementing the movements and the tasks uh, in line with the course itself and just training in, in that manner. Um, even with that, right, and, and from a prescriptive standpoint, even if you're going out and you're training on the course, you're still implementing warm-ups. You're still implementing cool-downs, right? It's still, even though if you're going to transition to the course and utilize the course, it's still that, and think from a, a bird's eye overview, you have some sort of dynamic warm up, you have your training, and then you have some sort of cool down. That follows no matter what principle we're talking about. We're still implementing that from a, a structural sense for your programming. The uh, the warm ups actually like a dynamic warm up warm up for the course is pretty simple. We could do almost everything on the course just with a rubber band, and we can we can start by doing some sprints, some upright rows of the band. Um, you can do like a chopping action with the band. So it, uh, it's a really good way to, to warm up for training and for competition. Yeah, I think we can all uh, attest to if you have a pocket of resistant bands and you bring it out to the field, not only from a warm up, like you can wreck people's worlds without just bringing yeah. a couple of resistant bands, uh, whether it's to the gym or to the field, uh, whether it's warm ups or you do a, a workout with resistant bands, like you'll. If you haven't already, it definitely changed your life if you start incorporating it. Absolutely. Um, all right. So talking about, uh, right, so we're drifting from that 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 competitive nature and, and training specifically for the course itself. I'm going to drift over to you, Ryan, talking about, let's say, in those that are wanting to implement some sort of job simulation testing, some sort of physical ability testing, but maybe they're not prepping to compete. Maybe they're not doing it specifically for the firefighter challenge. What might utilizing the drill field and, and implementing some sort of job simulation training program, what, what might that look like? Yeah. So again, uh, sky's the limit on what you could actually do. Uh, in this case, where you are going to use the firefighter challenge as kind of a basis to build a firefighting evolution on the drill ground and, and maybe even introduce some other elements that make it more comprehensive for us as firefighters. So an example of this might be uh, in terms of the course itself, maybe starting with a ground ladder deployment to the to a second story window, just to go through that skill, coming back to the, the drill tower stair climb with the hose bundle. Again, the rope hose hoist uh, from whatever floor you end up on for the training tower. Uh, if you have a forcible entry prop on your drill ground that is more accurate, maybe using the baseball bat technique or, or other forcible entry techniques more specifically, uh, or you could use a tire as a prop or even the, the firefighter challenge prop for a forcible entry station. Coming back to the hydrant sprint with a charged hose line drag. And then of course, what everyone loves the most is this rescue dummy drag uh, uh, on, the, on the drill ground itself. So uh, the way we could make this more applicable is you are in full gear, you are on air, and, and we all know what it sounds like when the bell rings. How many times can you get through this evolution before your bell rings? 
uh, and make note of it. And again, everything we're talking about today, whether it's your training in the fire station gym, whether it's your training on the course, your occupational training on the drill ground, all of it is objective. You can measure your performance uh, as benchmarks over a period of time to measure your progress. Right. And even with that, I know there's two sides to it, right? From a training capacity to a, a, a testing capacity, you can implement this also the exact same thing when you're talking about from a physical ability test or job sim, I uh, think training tool, you can then test it from an objective manner. You would just need to, if you're going to do that, just set specific weights or um, which host bundles, what sections and so forth you're using, pretty much standardize that and make a specific, this is this is the set of equipment I'm utilizing, just like the firefighter challenge, right? There's specific equipment being utilized. Same thing with, with job sim and physical ability, whether it's from a training tool, but now you're testing, standardize it. If I'm going up uh, flights of stairs, I'm using specifically, you know, this this bundle, if I am... Uh, doing any kind of uh, kneeling hose pull that's this many sections, it's this type of hose, if I'm doing a drag or whatever, right? The dummy drag, this amount of weight, set that and then set a distance um, to that, tie a specific distance to it. It could be based off of the sections of hose. For instance, um, one of the pats I have in the academy do, they're doing a kneeling hose pull and they'll have three sections of hose. And then they'll pull it to where two sections pass, right? And they'll still have the third one that's still uh, stretched out, but they'll pull at least two into them. And that's just that's just what we cut off that task at. And then they'll get up and they'll move on to the next task. Um, so at least providing some sort of objective and some sort of measurement tool will allow you to have a baseline. But yeah, like we've talked about, it can also you can do the exact same thing for training and just see how long it takes you. Do it for rounds. Do it for repetitions. There's plenty of ways to manipulate this for either a, a training tool or a testing tool. Yeah, and then coming back to a bigger picture, and as uh, Trevor was talking about, you know, in-season versus off-season, competitive versus non-competitive, you know, what we're talking about today are these single workouts or these single evolutions, just to put this into context. But you take a step back from that, and now we can talk about periodized training over maybe a 12-week period. And it it's a similar process, right? It's, okay, what's the goal for the individual? Is it competitive or non-competitive? Uh, what's the season? Is it in-season or off-season? And then, like we've talked about in the past, we just really break it down to make sure that the, the physical training is specific to meet the goals of the athlete, but also comprehensive to ensure that we're accounting for proper recovery and, and things of that nature. So, and to give, just to add and, and kind of frame this in a, a, a very uh, overview context and, and starting with, with you, Trevor, let's say someone is approaching training. What are some, and, and we briefly mentioned some kind of measurements. We talked about some of the tests we do. What are, what are a couple of tests someone could do next week before they start their, their training program? Uh, what are some of the things, I guess, either you do or you have some individuals do to just figure out where they're at before they start? My first one is always my eight minute run. We talked about it before. Yeah. That's uh, I won't go over it completely, but we'll see how far they get in, in that run. But mm -hmm. uh, we, I could just put together just a really simple circuit that is going to mimic combat challenge tasks and we could run through it. Maybe uh, give them a three minute window actually you should be doing this all in less than two minutes so it's called a two-minute window you have to finish this in two minutes 
see where they're at or do as many rounds as possible. Um, yeah, there's lots of lots of different circuits we can put together to uh, test somebody to see where we should be starting. Uh, and then you, Ryan, before someone starts this, before someone implements any form of, let's say, whether it's for the challenge itself or let's talk about incumbents trying to implement this as, as a training tool, what are some things they should be able to do or know before even approaching this training, right? Before they start their first training bout, what are some things to consider? Well, and to me, it always begins with baseline fitness. And when you talk about testing, I just want to reiterate for firefighters out there, testing is not meant to be a bad word. All we're doing is collecting information objectively. Uh, there's never any um, negative intent around this. It's just, hey, what's the baseline for the individual? And then how do we monitor progress over time? How do we set goals that are appropriate based on baseline fitness? So like we talked about, I feel like we could do a general fitness assessment that really similar to what the IAFF recommends for aerobic capacity, uh, muscular strength and endurance, um, flexibility, mobility. Those are really important numbers to have as a baseline before engaging in a periodized physical training program, because that'll help in our goal setting and it'll help us better support each individual athlete, whether that's with, you know, uh, corrective exercises or uh, maybe noting any limitation in a specific movement pattern and offering alternatives. So uh, as much as we can generalize things based on some of these principles, we can do that. But the more specific we can get based on objective information for each individual, that really helps us to support uh, the individual much better. One, it resonated with me when you talked about, and the first thing was having a foundation of fitness before going job specific. Right. And in many cases, especially talking, let's say, uh, academy setting, because that's usually first perception, at least in the field of fitness associated with the profession. And even with that, the first couple of weeks are, hey, let's make sure you can move. Let's make sure you can do very foundational. You can hinge, you can press, you can row, you can lunge. Let's make sure you have that foundation. Maybe add in, you know, some plyometrics, something to be able to absorb impact and resist different types of forces. And then let's implement job specific testing or, or training, right? Implementing a, a drill field training. So having that foundation first. Uh, Trevor, on your side, from a competitive nature standpoint, is there kind of a, and I know it depends, is kind of the best answer for everything, but... Um, is there kind of a time frame we mentioned off season in season, you know, what does preparation timeline, let's say someone wants to implement uh, the everything we've talked about in this episode, how long or uh, how much time when should someone start training for an upcoming competition. I think, uh, yeah, it depends, depends on your, uh, on your foundation. I think, the season it, it rolls. So I think throughout the winter, yeah, you, you should be working on your foundation. You should be starting as soon as the last season ended. So the season usually ends October, let's call it November, December, you're getting back on the horse again. And then uh come say March, April, you're starting to prep for your first couple of races. And then throughout the summer, through July, August, September, October now, you're trying to ramp up to peak for October. So it, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an all year uh, cycle. It never ends. It just, it never ends. You keep rolling <laughs> no. from the last competition. That's it. You've already started your prep and everything. Yeah. I think uh, if you, if you want, if you want to be the best, you're not, you're, you're, you're not going to stop training. 
So I'll I'll stay with you on this one. Uh, closing remarks, any kind of takeaways, whether it's a highlight point or just consideration when people are implementing this into their training program? Um, well, I always go back to smooth as fast. And uh, I think as far as just from a, from a competition standpoint, learning the course, learning every single step, every, every single inch of the course, you want to start, you want that muscle memory. Um, but then from a, from a training perspective, it takes time. It takes, it takes years and years and years to build up to, uh, to be able to endure this pain and push yourself that hard and, and learn everything you need to be doing. But uh, yeah, just take your time and just be patient. Take time. Smooth as fast. There Smooth as fast. Drifting over back to you, Ryan, closing remarks, uh, whether it's highlighting or even other considerations uh, prior to implementing this into their training. Well, and I think we come back to what you and I talk about so much is just being intentional about your firefighter physical and training, recognizing that, you know, the performance that, uh, that you uh, set in terms of your goals, your goals for your performance, rather, in your firefighting, whether it's at a world-class competitive level like Trevor, uh, or just to really perform your job at the highest level, it starts with being intentional about your training and kind of kind of summarizing what we talked about today, coming back to you know what movement patterns are important, what energy systems are you looking at, and without really overcomplicating it, just having a, a, a specific workout program that's also comprehensive in nature. Awesome. Well, I appreciate y'all being able to, to, to join again and, and just continue this collaboration discussions. I mean, this is part three of our, our three-part series. Uh, hopefully everyone's trickled through first part, second part. Now we're just bringing everything together and, and giving you those items that you can implement into your training. Um, so I appreciate you guys tuning in. Appreciate y'all listening and, and following through throughout this three-part um, I'm excited. Next one, we're going to be talking and, and drifting more toward what does it mean on the tactical athlete side? If we label tactical athlete, what does that mean? Why, why should we, we focus in that manner? And then are there pros and cons to that? So join us for our next series discussing the tactical athlete.